I know I told this story a couple years ago, so if you were here, forgive me, but uh, um, I just love it. It's so cute. Sydney and Jack are two of my grandchildren, and they have two grandmas on my side. My, of course, Grandma Ellen, and then their grandma in heaven, my first wife. And uh, Grandma Ellen and the two kids were spending some time shortly after we got married. They were at Kickapoo Park in Lincoln. I don't know where I was, but anyway... Ellen said, this is where Grandma Ellen and Grandpa used to bicycle and take walks before we were married. And Sydney, who's five years old, immediately said, yes, that's when you were dating, when you sat close to each other. <laughs> and then Sydney asked Ellen, do you think my grandma in heaven is happy with that? And Ellen said, yes, Sydney, I think she is happy with that because your grandpa was very lonely. Even at the age of five, Interest in this topic of male and female is there. Movies almost always have some element of romance to it, and this might be a little bit of an uncomfortable topic for some. It was really uncomfortable in first service, but anyway, it is all around us, and the media, media talks about it, and your kids' friends talk about it, the Bible talks about it, Jesus talked about it, and the church has to talk about it because we are sexual beings. It's a part of who we are as humans. It's a big part of society. There's so much joy and good that comes out of the male-female relationships and so much destruction and hurt. And Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, at least one aspect of it. Verse 27, Matthew 5, You've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. In 1934, J.D. Unwin wrote a book called Sex and Culture. He studied 86 different societies And the findings startled him and other scholars as well. After a careful evaluation of a variety of civilizations, including the Romans, the Greeks, the Sumerians, the Moors, the Babylonians, the Anglo-Saxons, it didn't matter which religion or which philosophy dominated, a clear pattern emerged for Unwin that there is a clear correlation between sexual fidelity and civilizational health. All 86 civilizations, there is a direct tie between strict sexual standards and what he called the expansive energy of civilization. Unwin was not out to prove a point. He wasn't trying to prove some kind of morality or immorality. But his conclusion was that when purity is high, social energy is high. Society is productive. There's progress. When purity is low, energy is low. There's a decline economically, in arts, in culture just across the board. And Unwin said, I know of no exceptions. 86 different civilizations. The evidence is overwhelming. The more looser we get, the more we lose. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul speaks of a grossly immoral situation in the church, and he says, don't you know, in other words, you ought to know this, that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. It's affecting the whole church. It affects all of society. And so today we're going to talk about living the Jesus life and sexual ethics, specifically adultery and lust. And I would contend that one of the most caring things we can do is teach and model fidelity. This has nothing to do with conservatism or traditionalism or liberalism and has everything to do with well-being and goodness and godliness and cultural vitality. God intended sexual intimacy to be for marriage, heterosexual monogamy between a male and female who are fully committed to each other for a lifetime. 
In 2010, seven and a half million couples were living together. Only 1.4 would marry. Four out of five would break up. And in addition, according to a Penn State study, couples who marry after living together are 61% more likely to divorce than those who remained apart until the wedding. If your daughter goes to university for four years, there's a one in three chance she'll be sexually assaulted. In fatherless homes, children are five times more likely to commit suicide, seven times more apt to become teenage mothers and drop out of school, 15 times more apt to go to prison, 33 times more likely to be abused, 73 times more likely to be killed. And we all want to protect our kids. We, we want our families to be healthy. We want a better society and a healthier community. And yet, well, we don't want to be judgmental, and we want to let everyone do their thing, and it's killing us. A guy was asked what he would do when his daughter started to date. And he said, well, I'll take the first young man aside, put my arm around his shoulder, pull him close to me so that only he can hear, and I'll say, do you see that sweet little young lady? She's my only daughter. I love her very much. If you were thinking about touching, kissing, or being physically affectionate in any way, just remember, I don't mind going back to prison. (laughs) We all want to protect our kids We all want a healthy community, and so does God. The Bible isn't prudish, it's compassionate. It knows what's best. God created the male-female relationship. I mean, he knows what's best. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And we can say, well, I haven't done that one. But then he goes deeper and goes back to the heart of adultery and unfaithfulness, which is lust, adultery of the mind and the eyes. Now, desire is not wrong. When Jesus sabotages here is not desire, but inappropriate or desire, rightful desire spent wrongfully. Desiring your spouse is delightful, it's good. Song of Songs describes uh, the wife or the husband in graphic poetry. He or she is overcome by the beauty and the attractiveness of the spouse. There's a desire, but any desire can be abused. And how does Jesus say we should deal with inappropriate desire? Gouge out the eye, poke it out, get a stick, get rid of it. And as painful and awful as that is, it's better for you to do that than your whole body to go to hell. Most would say Jesus is being a little extreme here. This is ridiculous. But some of you do know how serious lust can be. Some of you know someone, perhaps, whose life has been taken over by lust and temptation. And it is hell. Pornography is a multi-trillion dollar industry, by far the largest industry on the internet, and it's killing us. It is hell. See, hell is simply separation from God, and Jesus wants to see the seriousness of what it's doing to us and our relationship to God. It's a sin because it harms us and harms the people around us. God is not a killjoy. He wants, he wants us to have joy, but real joy is not always giving in to those desires. Now, with teenagers, I mean, those hormones are raging. Are raging. There's a natural attraction to the opposite sex, and that's good. That's natural. It's wonderful, and God wants young people to experience that goodness in the right way at the right time, with the right person, in a fully committed marital relationship. Now, let me make a few observations here from the text and also from our culture. First of all, throughout chapter 5, Jesus teaches behind the outward act is the inward desire. Earlier in this chapter, and we talked about it last week, he talks about murder, and in the heart of the murder is anger. And it could be that no one here has committed murder, but it could be we have the heart of one because of the anger towards someone. A lot of people would also say, well, I've not committed adultery. But you can have the heart of an adulterer, 
lusting, pornography, or maybe in an emotional affair. And Jesus extends the implications of the law. And he says, Let look, let's look at the full scope and the intention of the command, which involves also the mind and the eyes and the heart as well as the body. And he calls us as followers to be marked by a greater righteousness. A righteousness surpasses that of those around you, even the religious people around you. The future kingdom is invading this world and we are the invaders. And we exhibit future kingdom realities. In the next life, there will not be murder. There won't be anger. There won't be adultery. There won't be lust. And we are to bring that future as much as we can into the present and live by a different value system. Don't give in to the standards around you. Second observation, we are a confused society. I mean, our culture sends some amazingly mixed signals on sexuality. On one hand, we're given the impression and the message that it is the most important thing it is, there is. And magazines tell us ways you can have a good love life and different techniques in the proper ways and how to turn her on and how to keep him interested. And we have professional sex therapists. I even know of one that's a minister's wife and no, it's not Ellen, so don't ask her. So on one so on one hand, it's everything, and it's everywhere, and it's all important, and, and we got to have pills for it, and we got to have experts on it, and how to do it right. But then on the other hand, it's no big deal. It's just casual, friends with benefits. It's nothing more than just a little harmless fun. It's just physical, you know, recreational. So on one hand, it's everything. We have experts, and it dominates our culture, and we got to make sure we know what we're doing, and it's critical to a healthy and happy life. On the other hand, it's it's casual, it's no big deal. Well, what is it? Is it important or is it not? It can't be both. And the farther we get away from God's guidance, the more confused we get. I mean, today we just have no clue. I mean, it's just crazy. And so the church better proclaim God's good and perfect will for this matter so that our families and our young people can enjoy what God intended them to enjoy. Number three, your mind and imagination are gifts. From God. Art and achievement are not possible without imagination. Creativity needs imagination. Imagination motivates me. I get a picture in my mind of what I want my life to be, my church to be, my family to be, and it motivates me. Psychology uses image therapy to imagine good and right solutions. Even golfers imagine the shot going on to the green. Now that one doesn't work, but we do it anyway. And, and like all good gifts from God, the imagination can be used negatively you know, chastity and fidelity does not begin with the body. It begins in the imagination, in the mind. In fact, even before that, it begins in our eyes. Now, lust sells. Cars are sold by lust. Songs and videos stir up sexual fantasies. All around us, we're tempted to use our imagination in the wrong way. And we now know the psychological effects of pornography. There's addiction. Porn is analogous to heroin, morphine addiction. You have to keep coming back for more and more to get new highs, which leads to escalation. The highs become more difficult to attain and are sought with ever stronger levels of stimulation, so there's desensitization. What was initially shocking and maybe even disgusting or repulsive becomes commonplace. What shocked us 20 years ago today is accepted as okay, and then there's acting out, and lust does encourage the person to do what he sees. Jesus is not stupid. Sometimes I think we get this idea, which, well, Jesus is a nice guy, but he's a little naive. He's smarter than you, and he's smarter than me, and he's a lot smarter than your stupid friends. And he knows it all begins up here, okay? And he gives the solution. If the eyes, which are the window to the mind, cause you to sin, poke it out. 
Protect that mind. That's what he's saying when he says gouge the eyes. Now, a few believers actually literally have done this. Paul didn't. None of the disciples did. I'm not sure if that means they were innocent of this. But we don't have that we know of any one-eyed disciples in the New Testament. And Jesus is just using a very vivid metaphor telling us to deal drastic with, with this. Don't take it lightly. Don't flirt with it or enjoy nibbling at its edges. You need to hate it, crush it, and dig it out. If you have teenagers or children who are even younger... You have to ask, what are you doing to protect their eyes and their mind and their hearts? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Song in Sunday school we learned years ago, still wise. So how can we protect the mind? How do we gouge out the eyes the way Jesus puts it? Let me give you a few helps on this, just practical stuff. One is an accountability partner, and I know a lot of people tune me out when I say this, and then we wonder why we're anemic and we're still losing the battle. See, we are so individualistic here in America, but that's not how God made us. Meet with someone with trust. We are social beings, and maybe meet with a group of two or three who can call, you can call anytime or text anytime and be honest with them. Hey, I stumbled this week. You know, we all need someone to whom we give account, and if you're married, it should not be your spouse. Verbal confession, it does something. It makes you realize the gravity of what you've done. It's hard to admit it. It's hard to say it, but that's part of the value in it. And that friend then can pronounce you forgiveness and will still love you and still accept you, all based on God's grace. And there's a cleansing there. See, accountability has two sides. First of all, to keep you from falling, you know, preventative thing, but also to forgive you when you do fall. That's cleansing part. Now, some have gotten in so deep that they need to seek professional help. There are resources available, recovery groups, good books, and good counselors. And if you want to gouge it out, the help is there. Just don't play with fire. I, I could have people come up here and stand here today and say, don't, don't play with this. It's destroying our family. It's destroying my marriage. It's destroying our lives. And if I could tell you how many women have been in my office and just cried because of what their husbands were looking at. But I think we've become so apathetic. We just don't want to deal with it. And our children in our community are paying the price. Another help are spiritual disciplines. Now, I know this doesn't solve everything, but it helps to get in touch with God. Bible reading, prayer, solitude, worship, and sermons, a steady inflow of good stuff, of God's grace and God's word. I've seen it change people. I've seen people make a difference, make a difference in people's lives. You know, you need to ask, what are you feeding your mind on? You know, good input leads to good output. Just coming to worship can help. Research shows that going to church enhances mental health. So put your mind on a good diet. I've seen men and women get committed to God after failing and falling and turn their life toward Him and become new people. It can happen. And then limit exposure, obviously. Uh, And obviously, of course, there's no way to fully avoid sexual temptation, but you can limit, limit it and avoid certain places and set up some boundaries. I'd like to lay down some laws and tell you what you can and cannot do. But that would not be wise at all. I mean, we were all made differently. And what affects you may not affect me. And this temptation is stronger for some people than for others. So it's hard to stand in judgment of others regarding what they can or cannot permit themselves to see. When I was a kid, I was not allowed to go to dances because of the sexual connotations. That did not make me pure. But it helped. I mean, my parents wanted to put up fences to protect me, and I want to thank mom and dad. You know, it was embarrassing to be the only kid that couldn't go to a dance, but my parents wanted to protect me and send a strong message. Right, kids were small. 
we did not allow cable TV in the house just to help them out. That did not make them pure, but it helped. Putting filters on the computer will not make you pure, but it can help. And again, I can't tell you what to do or what not to do, but to be a disciple, there has to be a certain amount of voluntary cutting off and gouging out of certain things we know is going to cause temptation for us. And then number five will freak some of you out, and I've mentioned this uh, before, don't put off marriage. Whoa. If your kids have found the one, and everyone knows he or she is the one, and they're having a hard time controlling themselves, let them get married. Now, I know you have to be reasonable, and kids think at 13 they found the one, you know, and and some people rush into marriage way too early. I, I get all that. But we go way to the other extreme, and it amazes me that Christian parents... Christian parents would rather have their kids destroying themselves sexually and endanger their relationship with God because they got to have a job before they're married or they got to get out of school before they're married. Why can't they get married while they're in school and you still support them? Is there any law against that? I mean, do we understand it's hard to be 28 and single when those hormones have been raging for 15 years? And it seems like we've given in. We live in this culture of permissiveness and anything go and it's been a disaster we are called to form a culture that is different culture of purity fidelity and if we don't take intentional steps to develop that culture of fidelity it will not happen not in this world anyway Jesus is combating a powerful philosophy of life called narcissism narcissism says if something is fun why should we deny ourselves fun If two people want to have a good time and it feels right and neither is forced to do something against his or her will, why should we not? That's the philosophy today, especially among unmarried people. It's okay. And lust, give me a break. It's just a harmless pleasure. It's not hurting anyone. That's narcissism. It's selfishness. It's my needs. It's my wants. And the good of the community can go to hell. And it usually does. My happiness takes precedence over goodness and God. And ironically, we often end up less happy and in a mess. Giving in to our desires and pleasures does not do what we hoped it would do. And we call it freedom, you know, free from moral restraints. We had the sexual revolution back in the 60s, and where are we today? We become slaves to our desires. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. Marriage should be honored by all. Not just married people, but also by single people to protect the marriage bed. I know that's been kind of negative, but if you turn it around the other way and think, man, when you see a love story done God's way, there's nothing better. There's nothing more alluring or beautiful, and most people want that. When I see a couple doing it God's way and protecting the sanctity of marriage and being the kind of couple God wants, it's a powerful witness. I've made fun of the Hallmark Channel in the past uh, from up here. But part of its popularity is, especially their older movies, they're just clean. Now, lately, there's some shows on there that haven't gotten so clean, and I feel a little dirty after them, but, but because they've given into the culture too. It seems like the church is the last bastion of sexual purity. We're it. When I read Ephesians 5, husbands and wives submitting to one another with love and respect and mutual admiration, that's what I want. And that's what I want for my kids. And, and that's what I want for your kids and for your 
for the parents as well. John 4, Jesus meets a woman. He asked her about her husband, and the woman said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And she was a sexual disaster. So he offered her living water. She had ocean water. Plenty to drink, little that satisfies. Plenty to drink, but still thirsty. Jesus said, try my water. Try true love. Jesus wasn't mad at her. He was sad for her. He wants her to have the real stuff, the more excellent way. But even though we want this and, and we know what the ideal is, there's still the reality, and the reality is we are tempted, and many of us are tainted, and I dare say most of us have fallen in some way sexually, if not physically, then mentally or with our eyes or with our hearts. So there's another teaching by Jesus that is not spoken but very much implied. We all need forgiveness. The super-religious people that day were saying, don't commit adultery, and they were right about that, but they were thinking you could divide people into adulterers and non-adulterers, you know, sinners and non-sinners. You know, there's those people with the sexual problems and those people with marital problems and, and those kids, and, and then there's people like me, and of course, we don't do that stuff. We're the good people. And Jesus said, okay, you haven't committed adultery, but I say, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. And what's he doing? He's broadening the scope to include just about everyone. He basically is telling the religious leaders they have a problem with sexuality just as well. Those people who have those kind of problems, you know, I look down on them. Me, who's married? Now, never mind that my marriage is dead and that I lust after other women. But I'm not one of those. Jesus said, yes, you are. Just kind of like murder. Well, I haven't committed murder, but you've been angry enough. To maybe want someone dead. If Jesus came in here and said, anyone who's engaged in any inappropriate attitude or thinking, or who's taken advantage of their spouse or for granted and been unfaithful in their thinking, will die in 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8. In 10 seconds, I'd be speaking probably to an empty building. Actually, I wouldn't be speaking because I'd be dead. I have sinned sexually. Don't tell my mother that I said that, please. But most of us, most everyone in the church has. And it is so easy to pretend I'm not one of them. A little granddaughter was looking at her grandmother's license and said, Grandma, you're 76. Why, yes, how did you know that? Well, I found the date of your birthday on the driver's license and figured out that you're 76 years old. Well, that's right, sweetheart. Uh, your grandmother is 76. And then the little girl continued drive, looking at the driver's license and said, you also got an F in sex, Grandma. <laughs> we all get an F. And the homosexual issue? How dare we think we are better? And we'll talk about that in a few weeks. So the final word that we all have to grasp onto from our designer is grace. It is our only hope. Now, I want to be pure. Jesus wants me to be pure because it's just a healthy way to be. I need an accountability partner, and I need the disciplines, and I have to limit the exposure. And I married Ellen as quickly as I could. But in the end... I still need, I know I need grace. That is my salvation, not my goodness. Hebrews 11 is often called the hall of faith 
where many great heroes in the Bible are listed, you know, Noah and Abraham and Moses and Gideon and David, they're all listed there. And then in verse 31, Hebrews 11, it's the only time a profession is mentioned in Hebrews. By faith, the prostitute, Rahab. It doesn't say David the king or Samuel the priest or Gideon the judge. It doesn't mention any other profession. The only occupation is Rahab. By faith, the prostitute comes into the kingdom. And maybe it's a little reminder, no matter what your sin, Jesus came for you. Paul said that is what some of you were. But now you've experienced his grace. Would you pray with me? Lord, you've given us, given us a wonderful gift, the gift of intimacy. And you've also given us boundaries and ways to ensure that that gift is a delight. You've given us living water, an alternative way to the ways around us, the best way where a man and woman can love each other in an exclusive, you-only commitment. But your greatest gift is still grace and the chance to start over and the chance to be renewed I know people here this morning are all over the place on this matter and wherever we are, the one thing we have in common is a need for forgiveness. And we praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.